Today is a new day, uh, and uh, it's an exciting day for many of us that participated uh, over the last 21 days. And so if y'all see people turning backflips up here, especially like your pastor that hasn't had caffeine in 21 days, it's a great day, right? For some of you who love caffeine, and some of you have been saying, man, I don't need it. God showed me I did not need caffeine, and so, man, maybe that's what God showed you, and that's wonderful, and that's great. God showed me one thing, that I need lots of Bluebell ice cream, and it goes on sale tomorrow in Jefferson County, is what somebody told me. So that's a praise and a shout-out right there, but it has been a great time. And so if this is your first time with us, uh, we just want to tell you that we are uh, basically concluding a time in each year, twice a year, in the life of the church in the fall, and then also kicking off the start of the year. Uh, The Spirit of God led us a couple of years ago, two, three years ago, to start seeking him and to start implementing a spiritual discipline into our life and that is the discipline of uh, fasting and praying and so I just want to thank you I had several testimonies shared with me this past week about the breakthroughs because we talked about fasting uh, and praying uh, prepares you for a spiritual breakthrough in an area of your life and what God wants to do and so I've heard testimonies this past week I've heard testimonies of believers just this past week who've been believers for 40 and 50 years and they said they've never seen God move in their life like he has over the past 21 days. And they are trusting him and learning to grow and trust in him. I've had testimonies where people have experienced healing over the past 21 days to where God literally come in and took the physical uh, pains, affliction, or whatever it is away from them during that time of fasting. And so we know and they know that there's only, only God could do that. And so God moves in our hearts and our lives through fasting and praying. And so uh, we're talking today, we're concluding it. I, I, rather than jam all this together last week, the Spirit of God put this last particular uh, fast on my heart and my mind. Mind. It is such a time. I mean, this fast is for today, and this concept of what you're going to learn today is for today. And so the takeaway is simply this. I'm going to say it, and then I want you uh, to turn and say it to somebody around you, and it is simply this. God's got this. Now tell somebody around you that. God's got this. Tell them. All right, because you never know. you never know what they came in with. You never know what the past week's been like, the past month, the past few years. You don't know what struggles they're going through, what problems, what sickness. You don't know how the enemies come against them. And I'm telling you, this is more, okay? Please hear me today. This is more than just a Bible story. This is more than just a Bible lesson for you to come and get. This is something that I believe the Spirit, I know, I don't believe, I know the Spirit of God is wanting uh, many, many of you, I'm going to say the majority of you, okay? You say, well, who are you so, you pretty bold to say the majority of us. Hey, I've been, I've been a believer now for a long, long time. Y'all say, you say, I'm not that old. Well, I got saved when I was young, okay? So I've been a believer for a long, long time time and 36 years I've been a believer 20 years of that I have been in ministry I hope my math's right in that uh, but 20 years I've been in, I've been in ministry and God is just now moving this from a bible story and a bible lesson in my heart and life to a reality to where I'm walking in it and so what I, what I hope and what I pray for you and what my burden is is that you will accept this word and this truth and it would not just be mentally, but it would be ingrained and in, 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 in digested into your, your soul and your heart. And we would walk in this together, guys, because it's an awesome truth that God's got this. And we begin this series 21 days ago in Isaiah 58, 6 through 8, talking about that passage that gives us the greatest passage, literally, on fasting and God's heartbeat for fasting and praying and focusing on God. And it's where we said in Isaiah 58, 6 through 8, God says he's chosen fast that. And here's what we've walked through over the past 21 days. Fast that loose 
loosen the bonds or the bands of wickedness. And we talked about personal addiction. And so people's been fasting from addiction and from things that harm their body in the temple of God, be it addictions to uh, nicotine, whether it be addictions to abuse of alcohol, whether it be addictions to gluttony, whether it be addictions to gossip, whatever that is that the Spirit led you through. And so he is faithful and able to break those addictions. And then we said he's there to undo heavy burdens, Isaiah says, to let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke and to give bread to the hungry and provide the poor with housing, to allow the people's light to break forth like the morning, to cause their health to spring forth speedily and to cause their righteousness to go uh, before them. And here's where we're at today in this ninth fast is to cause the glory of the Lord to be their rear reward or their rear guard. So the ninth fast is the Esther fast. And so when you think about that reward or that rear guard, we actually see it when you go all the way back to Exodus, even happening in the children of Israel in Exodus 14, 19. Let me read this and then we'll move into Esther. It says, Then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. Now here's what you've got to understand when we talk about walking in relationship and not religion, okay? There's a big difference. Now majority of people, uh, I would say they've got religion but they don't understand relationship today in our time. And so it's all about relationship and when you have relationship with Jesus, okay, when you've surrendered and devoted your heart and your life to him realizing he is the only one true God and he is the only Savior, then the Holy Spirit enters you. And so with the Holy Spirit now in us in the New Covenant, because in the Old Testament he was just around them in the presence of a cloud and all of that, but now as believers we have the Holy Spirit who is a person, not a force, the third person of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and he is in us. Well, here's the deal with the Holy Spirit. He walks in front of you. He walks in and with you as you live your life and submit your life to him, and he comes up and he protects you from behind. And so you've got to know that, that no matter what the enemy tries to throw your way, you've got to know that God's got this because you have God inside of you as a child of God through the Holy Spirit of God. So God's got this, and it's more than just hearing it. It's walking in that authority. So the Esther fast is to cause the glory of the Lord to be the reward or the real guard. And so it's the real guard. So as faithful believers, we know that we have a God who is a provider. We know that we have a God who is a protector. We go all the way back to Abraham, and Abraham was considered a friend of God, and we know through God's promise that he was going to bless Abraham through his offspring, and that means if you're, if you're in relationship with Jesus, that you also literally are a descendant out of Abraham and that blessing that God said that he would give. And so you know that you are literally a friend of God. And Abraham in Genesis 22, God called him to do something that was one of the greatest tests I think anyone could ever face. Uh, unless you're raising teenagers, and that was he told him to go up to Mount Moriah and sacrifice his child. Uh, and so, uh, anyway, literally, he had to go up. To, I'm, I'm kidding, teenagers, all right? We love you. Uh, but he had to go up to Mount Moriah, and it was this great test, and he had to lay Isaac on the altar. And it wasn't until the last minute when he was coming down in that final test that God said, Stop. Because it wasn't the heartbeat of God, even though that was happening in their context with child sacrifice. It was a test of faith. God provided a ram. Our God is a provider, and that's where we get that from more than anywhere in the Bible, of how God provided there. So I love Scripture like 1 John 4, 4. It reminds us that greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. So what I want some of you to do is I want you to take those lies... I want you to take those lies of the enemy because Satan is the father of all liars. I want you to take those lies, ladies, where Satan has told you that you're ugly, you're unattractive, nobody's ever going to love you. I want you to take those lies that you're fat, that you're skinny. I want you to take those, all those lies that work against your insecurity. I want you to take those uh, damaging comparison things that you do and put them to rest and know that's not from God. 
Guys, I want you to take those lies that you're going to be something because of your pride and your macho, macho man that you are and what you can provide and how much money you can make and how many women you can get and, guys, how many women you can score with in your teenage years and know that that is straight out of the pits of hell. It is not from God above. And it will bring you more heartache and more headache than anything in your life. So I'm reminded of that. Greater is he that sent me than he that's in the world. I'm reminded of Isaiah 54, 17, which is coming more and more of a verse in my heart and my life and among our staff and our leadership is that no weapon formed against you as a child of God will prosper. No weapon formed against you. So think about Satan's weapons that he's throwing to you. Lies, doubt, discouragement, depression, defeat. You're a child of God. That's a weapon. And, and, and if we walk in that weapon continuously, then we are not trusting that God's got this. We are not totally surrendering it and giving it to God, and God has a way out, and God always has a resource, and God strengthens us through that. So you'll find this if you give your life to Christ, okay? So let me give a prerequisite for those who are not believers yet. You'll find this when you give your life to Christ. You'll find that in this world, you wrestle not against flesh and blood, but you wrestle against principalities and powers and a real enemy. And so what that means, and I love a testimony I heard Wednesday night. A guy come by my office, man, and he said, hey, I'm telling you. He said, he said God's doing something in my life. He said, he said you know, I kind of got off a little bit and got away from where I needed to be with God. He said, but man, I am back. In other words, he's saying, God, show me. God's got this. God's got this, and he's working in my heart, and he's working in my life, and he's working in my family, and I know he's faithful, and I realize the battle that I'm against, but I know if I walk in God, God's got this. So the Esther fast is reserved for those crisis situations that literally are very, very large, okay? They're big situations. They're not just minor little situations. God will work through minor little situations, but we're talking about big, big crisis, a big, big crisis. And literally, when I think about that and why I say this is so spot on for today's time is I think about this country, I think about America, and I'm telling you, if there's anything America needs to know and the believers need to know in America is God's got this, amen? God's got this no matter how bad it looks, no matter what the news says, no matter what buildings are falling down, no matter how the innocent, uh, you know, just walking around are being slain and being a target. God's greater and God's got this. And God will provide protection just like he did for us uh, to the children of Israel when they fled out of Egypt to the wilderness. The Lord went before them day in a pillar of cloud and by night in a pillar of fire. Look, Exodus 14, 19, as I've already read, he was there with them the whole time. And then we get to the book of Esther. And God took this book, I'm going to be honest with you, I've never, this book's really never, I've read through it, I've read through it in the one-year Bible, but in this time, God took this book right here and got it inside of me. It's only one of two books where you don't even read the name God, but you can't help but seeing God all in it. It's so powerful, and it shows you such their faith and dependence of God that the name God didn't even have to be mentioned. They were so walking with him. Esther was so walking with God, and Mordecai was so walking with God, he did, it didn't even have to, to be mentioned. And, when, and so basically, Esther was a Hebrew maiden living in the land of Persia where the Israelites had been carried away as captives in the 6th century B.C. Now, let me set this up for us as we dive into Esther. And yes, we're going to walk through all 10 chapters in the book, but it'll be in a very rapid, fast way, okay? We're not going to read every verse. But the king, King Xerxes, or Hazarus, is the same guy, when you see his name, and he throws a party, okay? 
And he throws this party, and he brings all the, uh, the wine in and the booze, and he brings all the great food in, and he's got all of his eunuchs around him. And I'm not going to explain that. You can just Google it. Uh, but anyway, he's got all these guys around him, and so they're having one big party. He throws this party for seven days. He's drunk. He's wasted. He's, he's, he's merry, as a, as a translation, your translation may say. And at the end of the seven days, okay, I mean, they are, they are dead dog drunk, okay? Uh, and um, if you've ever been around anybody dead dog drunk and a bunch of dead dog drunk, it's not a nice, fun place to be, you know. And everybody's loose. Everybody, they're, they're, they're living in the flesh and the sin. So he decides that he's going to take the queen, who is Queen Vashti, okay, and he's going to parade her in front of these men. So you literally got a seven-day orgy going on here in the Old Testament is what you've got. And so he's going to parade the queen around in front of these men, not in her beautiful dress, but in her nakedness before these men. So that they can lust and have their own desires and do what they want to do. So he, he, he calls and summons for the queen. And what the queen does is the queen rejects that uh, and says, I'm not coming. Look at Esther 1, verse 10 through 12. And we'll have it on the screen for you as well this morning. But in Esther chapter 1, verse 10 through 12, here's the response of the queen when he calls for her to come out before the men. On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine and he was wasted, he commanded uh, Mehuman, Bizda, and Harbana, Bigtha, and Abtha, Zethar, and Cargus, the seven eunuchs who served in the presence of King Ahasuerus, to bring Queen Vashti before the king with her royal crown in order to show the people and the princes her beauty, for she was lovely to look at. But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command delivered by the eunuchs. At this, the, at this the king became enraged and his anger burned within him. You see, because you, did, you didn't say no to the king. In fact, you didn't even approach the king's throne unless he put his scepter out for you. And that was a sign that you can, you can basically uh, approach the king. But you didn't even approach his throne unless he requested and called for you. You had to stand in the outer gates and some of his people had to know you were there, but you never dared march in or walk in in that situation. And so that's what, that's what we find ourselves in. And so when he hears that Queen Vashti says no to his drunken orgy and exposing herself naked before all the people, he gets very enraged, he gets very mad, he calls his eunuchs and his guys in and he says, look, he says, We're, I, I want a new queen. And he really doesn't think that it's possible to find a queen as pretty as Queen Vashti. But he says, I want a queen. He brings 400 virgins, okay? The men get 400 virgins ready and give them a year to get all dolled up. That's a lot of stinking makeup, ladies. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, and you know they get into this. This is bigger than Miss Universe, you know, and, and, and it's, it's this big thing. They've got a year to get ready and pick out their jewelry and their dresses and, 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 and spray their perfumes on and all of this stuff. And... Um, and basically, they take this very serious, and at the end of that year, he brings the 400 in, they bring them in one by one, and he's checking them all out. And Esther is one of these 400. Esther, a young lady from poverty, a young lady whose parents had died, and her cousin Mordecai took her in. And all in this, when Esther can't even see, and Mordecai can't see what's going on, God sees all, and he's sovereign, and God's got this. Because there's something bigger going on here, and God's going to get glory out of that situation. So, so Esther, out of the 400, guess what? The king picks Esther. The king picks beautiful, beautiful Esther because he saw something in her that wasn't just beauty on the outside. He saw beauty on the inside of Esther. 
And so God's hand was on it, and so God's sovereignty become evident when Esther was chosen out of the 400 people to be the queen over all the other maidens of the Persian Empire. Now, Esther did not reveal her identity as, as, that she was a Jew or an Israelite, which some scholars believe that her name actually means hidden or reflecting her hidden identity. And so she did not even reveal that. In fact, in Esther 2.17, um, we see um, basically... It says that uh, the king loved Esther. Listen to this love he had. The king loved Esther more than all the women, and she won grace and favor in his sight more than all the other virgins, so that he set the royal crown on her head. And that wasn't a drink, all right? That was a crown. And made her queen instead of Vashti, okay? And so that is what is going on. Now, Mordecai, we fast forward here a little bit, and here's her cousin Mordecai. And he's respected by the queen. He's respected by the queen, but he also has this man, all right, that's the king's right-hand man, and, the, and, and his name's Haman. And Haman is evil, Haman is wicked, Haman is jealous, ha- Haman is all about himself. And so you see this beautiful story that takes place to where it always looks like, and it's the way it is in our life, and it's the way it is in our country right now, it always looks like the bad's in control, the evil's winning out, and there's no hope for the good. Now, if you'll take your life, your situation, your anxiety, your worries, your bad tests you've got in the mail, your fears of what your family's going through, your fears of your marriage if it's going to survive, your fear of your financial situation if you're going to uh, be able to survive, or your fear of being jobless or being laid off, if you'll take whatever those fears are and you'll set them in front of you, you've got to understand and walk in this principle, God's got this. And, and the reason God's got this and got this in your life, the reason I can declare that with such certainty is because when you look at Esther and you look at Mordecai, they literally did the great commandment, loving God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and neighbor as their self. God has to have it in your life when you walk in obedience, okay? God has to have it in your life. You're a child of God. And God never forsakes the righteous, and Scripture's clear of that. So Mordecai, her cousin, overhears a plot against the king, against King Xerxes. And we see this in 2 Kings chapter 2. I mean, I'm sorry, in uh, Esther chapter 2 and verse 19 through 23. Look at it on the screen and I'll read it with you. Now, when the virgins were gathered together the second time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. Esther had not made known her kindred or her people as Mordecai had commanded her. So Mordecai raised her, and, uh, and so for Esther obeyed everything just as when she was brought up by him. Verse 21, in those days as Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bigthan and Teresh, two, king, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold, became angry and sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And this came to the knowledge of Mordecai, and he told it to Queen Esther, and Esther told the king in the name of Mordecai. When the affair was investigated and found to be so, the men were both hanged on the gallows. Now, this is very important right here. And it was recorded in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. Now, you'll see why that was so important, those records and chronicles, in just a minute here, okay? So follow and track with me. So Haman the hater, Haman was the prime minister of Persia, the king's right-hand man, and he hated the Jews, and he literally, really, really, his hate was enraged because he was in a place of leadership, and he saw himself as over Mordecai, and he was, but Mordecai would not bow down to him. 
And so, so Haman could not stand that Mordecai, being a Jew, would not bow down to him. But Mordecai would not bow down, and so it made him very, very mad, Haman the hater. And you see in Esther 3, in verse 1 through 6, after these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman, the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, and advanced him and, his, and set his throne above all the officials who were with him. And all the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman, for the king had so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage. Then the king's servants who were at the king's gate said to Mordecai, Why do you transgress the king's command? And when they spoke to him day after day and he would not listen to them, they told Haman in order to see uh, whether Mordecai's words would stand, for he had told them that he was a Jew. And when Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage to him, Haman was filled with fury. But he disdained to load hands on Mordecai alone. So all they had made known to him... The, so as they had made known to him the people of Mordecai, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus. So basically Haman is being used of the enemy to bring about genocide among all the Jews. And we know that's still the enemy's plot and still the enemy's plan today. Good luck with that loser. All right? And uh, because God's got that, right? God's got that in his control, and, and Satan's no match for God, and we know that, and we'll see that in this passage. So, Haman develops a plan, and we see that plan in Esther chapter 3, verse 7 through 11. So check his plan out right here, okay? The enemy's at work. The enemy's always got a plan. The enemy's always got a plan. Verse 7 in chapter 3. In the first month, which is the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of the king Ahasuerus, they cast pure, that is, they cast lots before Haman day after day, and they cast it month after month till the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar. Then Haman said to king Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of every other people, and they do not keep the king's laws, so that it is not the king's profit to tolerate them. Now listen, here's what's happening before I read verse Haman, has, he, he didn't understand everything that the Jews believed and everything about Jehovah God, but he begins to go back and do some research so that he can become better acquainted to point out anything that he can point out to the king that looks like that they would usurp the king's authority. And so he's trying to paint this picture, but he's twisting things. How many of you know the devil will twist things in your mind? He will twist things in your life. And if we do not, I'm telling you, if we do not, as we talked about last year going into that fast, of last year's fast, or the, or the one before this past fast, if we do not walk in the Spirit and we allow our mind to control our uh, decisions and our emotions and how we look at life, we're going to lose every time. But verse 9, if it please the king, let it be decreed that they be destroyed. And I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who have charge of the king's business that they may put into the king's treasuries. So the king took his signet ring from his hand, gave it to Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews. And the king said to Haman, the money is given to you, the people also do with them as it seems good to you. So Haman's got this plan to take them all out. Now Mordecai is aware Mordecai basically appeals to Esther knowing that Haman, this guy who hates him so much that he won't bow down to, that they're having to cross paths every day. He goes to Esther in Esther chapter 4 and verse 12 through 17, and he appeals to her. And here's what it says in Esther 4, 12 through 17. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not uh, come to the kingdom. And here's this beautiful phrase. For such a time as this. 
for such a time as this. I believe literally in my heart and my spirit, and I pray you would receive this into your spirit. I believe that God has set this church right here apart for such a time as this. In this day, in this country, in this community. I really believe that with all my heart. To make a difference in the kingdom of God. So, so, so when you look at this passage of 12 through 17, I want to finish this out. Verse uh, 14, he tells her, he says, If you keep silent this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, Esther. In other words, you don't want to miss the glory of God and be disobedient, Esther. I've taught you this all your life. But you and your father's house will perish And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Don't miss God's timing, Esther, because God will do it through another queen. God will do it through somebody else, and you will pay the consequences. Hey, can I say something to you? Christian families, Christian couples, spiritual leaders, dads, don't miss God's timing. Don't don't miss God's timing of, of taking serious leading your family spiritually, of taking serious having your kids and your family in church, taking serious, teaching them the word of God at home and modeling and exampling and radiating and reflecting Christ. So verse 15, Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews, and here's where we find the fast in verse 16, to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, listen to this, she says, if I perish, I perish. Mordecai, verse 17, then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. So he appeals to Esther, and when the proposed slaughter was announced, he goes and tells Queen Esther, and then she determined to appeal to the king. Now remember, you were not supposed to approach the king in this setting. If you approach the king in this setting, then you could be killed on the spot. Esther's also keeping in her mind that she herself is a Jew, and the king does not even realize this, neither do his eunuchs around him realize this. And so... Basically, she finds herself in a situation where she really has to trust God, and that's what we see in verse 15 and 16. Before she steps out in her own power, that's why we're not to walk in our own power. We're to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Before she does that, she says, let's fast and pray, and calls everybody into fasting and praying. I really believe that's why God is going to bring what pockets of revival and an awakening in our country and in our land is going to come through fasting and praying. I really, really believe that. I encourage you, especially if you're a leader, you know, and, and you realize the importance of prayer, you need prayer in your life, be here Wednesday night as we gather, we're on the floor, so that we can pray and tell God that we want him to change our land and change our country. So the result of Esther going in, you know what happened? God was with her. Because it was part of God's plan, God was with her. The king extended his staff toward her in gesture of acceptance. The king asked Esther, get this, this is how God opens the door for us. This is how God opens the door. When you do it God's way and you do it in obedience and faith and you do it with the mindset, God's sovereign, if I perish, I perish. In other words, I'm going to trust God so much with this situation. I'm going to trust God so much with my life. I'm going to trust God so much that he can do in my marriage what needs to be done. I'm going to trust God so much that, he can, that, that I can love my prodigal enough to love them enough to let them go so that they'll get tired of wallowing in the pig slop. And through fasting and praying, God will bring them back home and break those. I'm going to trust God so much in the area of my life financially that that I'm just going to trust him and be obedient. (laughs) But she says, she displays that type of faith. And God moves in her situation and in her life. And he basically shows up to where the king says, Esther, 
what's your wish? Because he loved her greatly. Esther, I will give you any wish, anything you desire, up to half my kingdom. Wow. Some of y'all are thinking, man, the new Corvette they just come out with, a Porsche, right? A big house. A big house. That reminds me, I've got to tell you all this real quick. It reminds me of the guy who had this big estate and this big house and all these cars had three beautiful girls. And he had put out a statement in the community that just spread out through the, the states and even the, the countries. And he said, he said, any man that can come to my lake, he said, where I've got my, uh, my, the, my trained uh, crocodiles and alligators, he said, any man who can come and swim out to the middle of my lake on the island and swim back to the land, he said, I will give him his desire and his wish. Either he can have my estate, he can have a pick out of my three daughters, he said, or he can have all of my vehicles. And he had all types, antiques, he had nice ones, brand new ones, Ferraris, you name it, he had it all. And so these men begin to show up, man, just crazy for those possessions. And so they begin to show up and they begin to try to make it out there. Well, man, these, these alligators and crocs, they were just trained, they were just destroying these guys and just ripping them up, tearing them apart, you know, and the king just smiled. And so anyway, all of a sudden they hear this splash, man, and this dude is just going across the top of that water, and they're trying to catch him. He gets out there that aisle, and he catches his breath. They're coming in on him, and he dives back over, and he's swimming just as fast as he can, and he makes it to the bank, and he's breathing real hard, and the king's going, I just don't believe it. He said, I didn't think it was possible. I just don't believe it. He comes over to the guy. He said, I just can't believe it, and all the people's in awe. He said, he said what is it? He said, is it my state and my mansion that you want? He said, no, sir. He said, it's one of my girls, isn't it? He says, it's one of my beautiful daughters. He said, he said, no, he said, you're a car man. He said, so what's my car? Is that what you want? He said, no. He said, well, what do you want? He said, I want the sucker to push me in. All right, so, uh, so uh, the, the, the king here tells Esther, he says, I'll give you up to half of my kingdom, Esther. And so look at what Esther says. She, she's not, she doesn't care about all these riches of the kingdom. She cares about being in the place of God for such a time as this. And so she says, well, I, I want a banquet. She says, I want a banquet. And as she's saying this, remember, Haman, uh, the king's right-hand man, is in her presence. And Haman's all about Haman and uh, building himself up and his pride up. And so she says, I want a banquet, and I want that banquet to be with nobody else but me, you, and Haman. And Haman, you can imagine, he just smiles. But here's the deal. In this time when she walked into the king, she had intentions of coming into the king and telling him Haman's plan to kill the Jews and even her but she didn't have the peace of God about it. She didn't have the peace of God. Now catch this. She didn't have the peace of God on her to share with him right then. So in her spirit, she says, he says, he says so what is your wish? And she says, well, I, I wish to prepare a, a banquet, and that was, that was the number two banquet. I wish to prepare a banquet for you, Haman, and myself. Now, Haman, we've already talked about his heart, full of pride. He's smiling. He thinks, man, the queen has set a banquet and wants just me there? This is, this is great. I'm already moving up in position to the king. Others are having to bow down. They are probably going to put new robes on me. I'm moving up. Who knows what could become of this? And so he's smiling. He's so happy. But his desire, here, here's what anger will do to you. Here's what animosity and bitterness and jealousy and rage and sin will do to you. He walks from the king's palace, and he is smiling, and he is happy, but he has no joy because when he looks and encounters Mordecai, it changes all that he just heard. 
And the rage overtakes him, and he becomes very angry again because when he sees Mordecai, he's reminded that Mordecai won't bow down to him. And he can't live with that no matter how he's exalted by the king or the queen. So you know what he does? He prepares a place for Mordecai to be hanged. So he prepares gallows gallows for Mordecai to be hanged. The king, though, check this out. (laughs) This is our God right here. See, how many of you know God can wake you up? Or keep you from going to sleep. You, you know he can do that? If you really want to desire it, what, what, what he wants with your life. Now, most of us, let's just call it like it is, most of us who lie awake at night and can't go to sleep, it's not because we trust God so much. It's because we're trying to carry things he didn't intend for us to carry. You with me? And so we, we, we're worried about something. We're worried about a situation and what am I going to do? And what's going to happen with my marriage? And what's going to happen with my wayward kid? And what's going to happen, you know what I'm saying, with my aging parent? What's going to happen in these situations in my life? And we bring all of that worry and it builds anxiety, all of that, and it's unhealthy. And we don't trust God. And so we've got to learn to trust God. But there is a time. And in this time, the king could not sleep that night. And so he, here, here's what, this is the beauty in this, that God is in control and God is sovereign. God's got this. You know what the king calls for when he can't sleep? He calls for him to bring the book of Remembrance and the book of Chronicles to him and read it to him. So I guess for us, that would be like if you can't sleep, you call somebody to read the book of Leviticus to you, and eventually by chapter 3, uh, you know, I love the book. I mean, it's great, but I'm just saying, don't go there if you're a new believer for your first book to study uh, and, and build into that uh, through the one-year Bible. And so he says, bring the book of Remembrance. Does anybody remember what was recorded in the book of Remembrance that Mordecai overheard? The plot, thank you. He heard a plot, so the king could not sleep, calls for that to be read to him. And in verse 4 of chapter 6, Haman comes. He's outside the king's entrance desiring to approach him to get permission to hang Mordecai. (laughs) But boy, did things not go the way that he had anticipated. Look at Esther chapter 6, verse 4 through 13. Esther chapter 6, verse 4 through 13. And the king said, who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer courts of the king's place to speak to the king about having Mordecai hanged on the gallows that he had prepared for him. And the king's young men told him, Haman is there standing in the court. And the king said, let him come in. So Haman came in and the king said to him, "Uh, what should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? Can you imagine the smile on Haman's face? Wow, I wasn't expecting this. And Haman said to himself, well, whom, whom would the king delight to honor more than me? Notice he said that to himself. And Haman said to the king, For the man whom the king delights to honor, let royal robes be brought which the king has worn, and the house that the king has ridden, and on whose head a royal crown is set. And let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials. Let them dress the man whom the king delights to honor, and let them lead him on the horse to the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor." Then the king, look at this, verse 10. The king said to Haman, hurry, take the robes and the horse as you have said, and do so to who? Mordecai. Can you imagine the look on Haman's face? Do you see the importance of God's timing in your life? Do you see the importance of having a sense and a peace from the Spirit of God about how to handle situations and walk so much with the Holy Spirit that when you go in to approach the king and he tells you whatever wish you want that you say, it's just not the right time to inform him Haman's motives and you walk back in obedience having to trust God as much as you're wanting to tell him about your enemy? As much as you're wanting to tell him about this situation, as much as you want to go in and, 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 and tell your boss, I've been working nine to five, what a way to make a living, and you tell them they can take this job and shove it, all right? You, you want to make sure you have the king's timing on your life. 
And so she did that, and so he tells him, go to Mordecai, the Jew, who sits at the king's gate. Leave out nothing that you have mentioned. So Haman, verse 11, took the robes and the horse, and he dressed Mordecai, led him through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Now, you see this happening in uh, Mordecai's life. Verse 12, then Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman hurried to his house, mourning and with his head covered. And Haman told his wife Zeresh and all the friends everything that happened to him. Then his wise men and his wife Zeresh said to him, If Mordecai before you whom you have begun to fall is of the Jewish people, you will not overcome him, but will surely fall before him. Now, the second banquet in chapter 7, here I'm just going to paraphrase what happens. Esther reveals to king, the king her concern and wishes to expose Haman. So the king in anger... Once she tells him Haman wants all the Jews killed and she tells him and and discloses herself whom the king loves as one of those Jews, the king becomes enraged. He walks out into his palace garden. He had a garden area. He walks out into the garden area and then he comes back in. Well, when he comes back in, Haman has fallen at the feet of the queen. But the king, and he's begging, he's begging, please spare my life. The king sees that as an assault on the queen. And he becomes so enraged that he has his guys and he says, Take Haman and I want you to go have him hanged on the gallows. Guess whose gallows he was hanged on? The ones he had built for Mordecai. So what are you saying? I'm saying God's got this. What are you saying? I'm saying no weapon formed against you, child of God, shall prosper. What are you saying? I'm saying it's more than a Bible story. You better make sure you're not just coming to hear about the book of Esther and mentally entertain it. You better get this principle, and I better get this principle in our heart, in our life, and walk in the authority we were meant to walk in because you're a child of God. Who wants to walk in that type of authority over your situation, struggles, and problems? Anybody? Put your hand in there. Or some, yeah, we, I hope so, yeah. All of us want to walk. It's made possible when you have a relationship with Christ. So Esther reveals all of this, then they hang him. We see the sovereign hand of God all in this, even though the enemy was coming against. And don't forget this. God has shown me this. Satan's wise. Satan's powerful. You're no match for him. I'm no match for him. But go back to greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world and know that Satan, as wise as he is, he always reveals his card and God knows what card he's going to play and God comes in and shuts him down every time. So no weapon, no situation, no problem. You say, well, pastor, why maybe am I not... Seeing that happen in my life, dear friend, I would ask you, are you pursuing God passionately? Are you walking in total obedience in every area of your life? Because Esther was. Mordecai was. Totally trusting God. Holding nothing back from God. God's way is the best way. And that's what we've got to walk in. Chapter 8 and 9 says this, he made a decree that the Jews could defend themselves. You see, he had, he had went ahead when Haman came in and approached him and made a decree that all the Jews be wiped off. Well, the king couldn't just come in. It wasn't that easy. He couldn't come in and reverse that decree, so he made another one that the Jews could defend themselves in any effort uh, in, in the other people trying to take their life, the persons trying to take their life. And so they could prepare themselves for that day that had been established. And, and even though he couldn't undo the other one, he said, y'all can prepare yourself. In other words, you don't have to just sit there and let the enemy take you out. He said, you can prepare yourself. Then he told those that wanted to take out the Jews, you don't have to do this. 
This is not an order for me. You don't have to do this. But some came up. The day came, Doomsday, March 7th, 473 B.C. The Jews defended themselves. There were attacks all around them. There were deaths. And on that day, over 75,000 of the enemies of the Jews were slain as the Jews defended themselves and the king backed them up. That's where we get this feast that the Jews celebrate, the Feast of Purim. Because remember, Purim meant the casting of lots. And when Haman came up with this plan to uh, bring genocide over all the children of Israel and the Jews, it was the casting of lots. So that's where they come up with Purim. That's why they have the Feast of Purim. It was a day that they celebrated. And we see that in Esther 9 because Purim means casting of lots. Exodus 9, verse 23 through 28 is... We get close to wrapping this up. So the Jews accepted what they had started to do and what Mordecai had written to them. For Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them and had cast pure, that is, cast lots, to crush and destroy them. But when it came before the king, he gave orders in writing that his evil plan that he had devised against the Jews should return on his own head and that he and his sons should be hanged on the gallows. Verse 26, Therefore they called these days Purim after the term pure. Therefore, because of all that was written in this letter and of what they had faced in the matter and of what had happened to them, the Jews firmly obligated themselves and their offspring and all who joined them that without fail they would keep these two days according to what was written and at the time at that time every point in time of that year that these days should be remembered and kept through every generation in every clan province and city and that these days of Purim should never fall in, into disuse among the Jews nor should the com- commemoration of these days cease among their descendants now so they took this very serious and in chapter 10 after Mordecai remember God used him and I want to say this I said this in our nine o'clock I want to say it over this group God was at work in Mordecai. And even though Mordecai did not know how everything was going to happen, he just faithfully walked and trusted God. He taught Esther everything. Esther, you just got to trust God. But I don't understand. I don't understand. There's no way the king would pick me out of 400 virgins because I'm an, I'm an orphan. I don't have as nice of outfits. I don't know how to represent myself before the king. Yet God was sovereign and God had already moved in his heart. You've got to know that God's in control. And what moves my heart that I share with the 9 o'clock, that I'll share with the 1030 this morning, is, is when I see God working in the hearts of our people in the life of this church like I've never seen, and this church has never seen in its history, I see our parents taking in these little orphans. And I see them taking in these kids whose uh, own parents won't take the responsibility to be the parent that they should be. Or, and I see them lovingly bringing them in just like God the Father lovingly uh, has brought us in as orphans to His grace and His mercy. And I see this little baby this morning with this jet black hair who's just been born just uh, a few weeks, maybe a month ago. And I think, God, that could be another Esther. I see this little young boy who this family's taken in because they're being moved by the heartbeat of God. And I'm saying, good God, that could be another Daniel for modern day times. God, that could be the next evangelist or the next Billy Graham in modern day times that you would use. And the question we must ask ourselves is, God calling us to be a part of that? He is. He is as a church. But is he calling you as an individual to do that? Is he calling you to be a Mordecai? And what is God going to do when we trust him? What is God going to do when we totally do what we signed up for (laughs) with Christ and literally die to self? Die to self, whatever that means. Die to self, Lord, so that I can be used for your glory. What does that look like? I tell you, it absolutely rock your world. It'll absolutely rock your world. And I really believe in my heart and my spirit that God's on the verge, even across our land, across our nation, bringing an awakening, bringing an awakening and a revival 
I mean, I, I mean, and, and, and it's gonna, it's, we need one, all right? We need a third one. We've only had two. We need a third one. We need a third awakening. And even in, our, even, in our, even in the city of Birmingham, and I want you to pray. I want to ask you to pray. I've been asked to be a part of a core leadership team where we are praying for revival to come to the city of Birmingham and the towns on the outskirts of Birmingham and that God would move in this place and move all the way through this state and beyond because we're sensing it and we're believing it. But, but, but that's the heartbeat of God. That's for God to bring revival. And then I want to tell you, as we get ready for our time of response, that I want to tell you what God does in the life of Mordecai in chapter 10 and how he blesses him. He takes Mordecai in chapter 10, and he exalts him to the place of right-hand prominence. See, he literally gives him Haman's job, but he blesses him in so many more ways. See, some of you might be here today and you might think, man, I want that job, but to do it, I'm going to have to let my ethics go or my integrity go. Or to do it, I'm going to have to expose that person who's painted me one way and, 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 and the boss really doesn't know that. You let God figure that out. You let God sort that. Don't lower your standards. Don't lower your standards like somebody else. You trust God that God knows where you need to be when you need to be. You trust God in all situations of your life, in all areas of your life, that he is faithful and that he will protect you and he will give you honor as he did Mordecai and exalt you if you will humble yourself. That is a biblical principle. You trust God that he's going to protect you for his glory. You trust God that he's not only going to walk ahead of you when you have the Holy Spirit, God, in you, he's going to walk in you, with you, through you, and he's going to walk behind you. So what are you saying, Pastor? Here's what I'm saying. If you find yourself in a spirit of worry, if you find yourself in a spirit of anxiety, if you find yourself in a spirit of entertaining lies that God would never whisper into your ear that you are not valuable, you're walking in your own strength. You're walking in your own. And hey, I'm going to confess, I've done it. I've done it for far too long. But this is more. This principle, God's got this, has become more than just a Bible lesson or a Bible story to me. So I don't know who you are, and I don't know who, who needed to hear this today, but I'm telling you, we all needed to hear it. But I don't know your situation, and I don't know who's going to take it and internalize it and start walking in it. But I, 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 I beg you in Jesus' name, I'll do everything to try to persuade you to trust God. God's got this. Rest in Him no matter what Satan tries to inflict on you. And then here's my question as you bow your head, close your eyes this morning. Because I've talked about a massive and a big God. I've talked about a God who loved us so much when we deserved hell. When there's nothing spiritually good in anybody in this room, anybody in this universe because of sin. I'm talking about a God who came in the form of flesh and sent his son to die so that you could walk in relationship. Do you know him? I love what Michael Lawrence posts when he posts the word of God in scripture on social media. The bottom, do you know him? Well, do you? Or do you just know religion? Or do you just know, well, Sunday, Sunday, I just show up. That's what I do. I show up to church. That won't save you, friend. Do you know him? men do you know him because if you know him and you realize you're the spiritual leader of your home your wife won't have to beg you to come to the house of God you'll get up if you really know him in relationship and you will take that serious and say God no weapon formed against me shall prosper and you'll tell Satan to get his filthy hands through the blood of Jesus off your marriage and off your children's life trying to derail them 
And that's the authority that we need to walk in. So do you know him? If you don't, you say, I want to know him, Pastor, because I sensed something here I hadn't sensed anywhere outside in my life trying to figure it out. If you really want to know him, just bow your head right there. You've already bowed your head, but in your heart, tell him, say, Dear God in heaven, I don't know you, but I want to. I want a relationship with you right now, Lord Jesus. And I ask you, God, I confess all my sins, ask you to come in my heart and save me right now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you prayed it a minute, God saved you. Not based on your feelings, based on your faith. Now for all of us, are you trusting him to get you through? In ways very similar to the story of Esther, people are Satan, hate Christians today because they will not bow down or they will not compromise to, uh, to ungodly principles. We'll stand on biblical principles. Knowing our God will provide a way. And just as Satan hated and has hated and revealed his hate for Jews through Haman, through Hitler and many others and through those today, he continues his hatred toward the bride of Christ and Jews alike. But our God is a faithful God. Our God is a faithful God. So here's how we're going to do this time of response. If you're here today and you are walking through any kind of struggle, any kind of problem, or you know someone who is in your immediate extended family or a close friend or whatever, if you're here today and you need this principle of God's got this ingrained in your heart, not just your head, ingrained in your heart, then in just a minute I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. And if you're here today and, and you, you believe that the sovereign God can move in this country in these last days and you believe God's got this and you want the courage that only He can give to face the persecution that's going to come to the true body of Christ and you want to be a part of the one marching forward with the love of Christ but with a sternness to be the light for Jesus Christ, then I want you to stand to your feet. So both parties, would you stand to your feet if that's your heart's desire all over this room, if that's your heart's desire, that you want to walk in that principle that God's got this, amen? God's got this. If you believe God's got it, I just want you to raise your hands up toward heaven. Raise your hands up toward heaven, okay? I want to pray over you right now. Hallelujah. I want to pray over you. This altar's open. If you want to come pray and say, God, I'm stepping out. I know you've got this. If you want to come and talk with a counselor, come over here to my left and your right and say, I know God's got it, but you want to make it a matter of prayer. Whatever it is, I'm going to pray over you, and then we're going to sing, we're going to celebrate, we're going to receive those guest cards from guests, that's all we ask of you. We're going to participate in the act of really telling God, <laughs> I believe you got it, God, and I'm going to bring you what is yours, God, and even more, God, for your glory, so that your kingdom can be advanced. Father, we love you. God, there's no greater love than yours, God. Anoint this place, God, with your spirit, God. You're already here, God. Ask for an additional anointing, God. And ask for additional increased faith, God. God, you have this, God. God, you got this, Father. And we walk in that promise and that principle and proclaim your name and only your name above all other names, God. The name that demons tremble to, the name of Jesus, God. We love you and we praise you, God. And we celebrate. Can we celebrate right now? Can we celebrate?